0: So my name is Rachel Carlyle, I'm a Cumberland Lodge Scholar, and I'm currently working towards a PhD in International Development at the University of East Anglia. And before that, I worked for seven years at the Greater London Authority, where I was leading um, the office of Sean Berry and Caroline Russell, who are two um, elected members of the London Assembly, um, which is a scrutiny body that holds the Mayor of London to account. And we're here on the opening day of the Cumberland Lodge and Young Foundation Conference on Resilient Communities, and it's been a fascinating first morning. We've just heard from Neil McKinroy, Chief Executive of CLESS, the Centre for Local Economic Strategies, which describes itself as a think-and-do tank for progressive economics, and Claire Whiteman, Chief Executive of Grapevine, Coventry and Warwickshire, an award-winning charity that seeks to bring about meaningful change in communities to improve people's lives and futures. They were leading an interactive session on collaborative local citizenship and how it can support the development of more resilient communities. I'm delighted to be joined by Neil and Claire for this podcast. Welcome both of you and thank you for joining me. Now this conference is exploring ways of fostering social cohesion to make communities more resilient to disruptive events and developments and to help fractured communities reconfigure more effectively in the aftermath of those events. So, can you each tell us a bit about how your current roles support resilient communities and what the key learning points were for you from this morning's conference session on collaborative local citizenship? So, should we start with
1: Neil? I think my current role at the Centre for Local Economic Strategies is is to work across the country with many communities about how do we create uh, local economies that uh, work for people, place and the planet. In terms of our work, we have mostly focused on wealth and questions of wealth, and that's about income and wages of local residents and communities, and how do we make sure that the greatest amount of wealth is retained and kept within those communities. We're also interested in things like land and property, um, uh, and also um, around different forms of ownership you may have in communities, such as community businesses, social enterprises and so on. Um, In terms of the key learning points, I think we'd had a number of interesting conversations. I think one of the... One of the I thought was important, anyway, was the questions of power. There's a sense that we need to empower communities was coming out in the, in, the, in the talk, and it seemed to me that there's almost too much talk about that, empowering communities. We need to talk more about where power is and how, in effect, it creates a misery for many of the communities across this country. And, and that, I think, power lies with the economic system and... Uh, Uh, elements of the state that support the economic system and those that do very well out of that economic system. So I think it's not about empowering communities, it's about um, exposing the power that's there, that creates this rotten economic and social (coughs) system. And then once that's done, then we can seek to recalibrate that power through uh, communities coming together in a mass way as activists to grab that power over those that are creating uh, huge economic and social issues. I think there was also a really interesting conversation around the importance of uh, diversity um, and kindness and generosity and uh, the ways that we interact individually and as groups of people. It seems to me that people in power are too readily uh, keen to create divisions between people. Um, it's, It's white against black, it's... It's uh, that community against this community. I think that serves their end to, to spot the differences and create these differences between people. I think it's for us who are really interested in social and economic justice and to create resilient communities, to respect diversity, to understand, to be generous to each other, and to uh, allow more opportunities where our differences are exp- are discussed um, and we end up understanding and sharing what our differences are. And I think that's a petty power and a strength. We should not let those who want to divide us win, because they, that is what they want. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So that sounds like it um, comes back to the fraternisation point that Claire... Ah, um, oh, my rap. made yes. <laughs> earlier on. Um, would you like to um, talk yeah. a bit about your role? Yeah, sure.
2: Um, so, I mean, I think our role isn't simply to build resilience. So I'm less interested in merely helping people cope with setbacks So that, uh, as individuals or as communities. We really What we really want to do is help people thrive to uncover their own ability to take charge of their lives, take charge of their community and what's happening to them and with them. Um, So, you know, we do that in lots of ways. We have some work that's about strengthening people that might be sort of one-on-one sort of work. Work that's about sparking community action, where we're working with collectives and small groups of people. And work that's about shifting power, because I think we can't strengthen individuals and strengthen communities and then not think about what else do we need to do to help that unlock capacity in others. Um, so, they have to, those three things have to co- interconnect. And they do. So, you know, if we strengthen, as we did a few years ago, a young learning disabled person to get his own individual budget, to buy his own care, to get a mortgage for his own property, we have shifted power because he now has power over his life in a way that he didn't before when he would have been dependent on um, a social care provider business to achieve that for him. So, both from the individual work and then the more movement-building work that I was talking about this morning, power is the commodity, the thing that has to move around in order to make change possible for people.
1: What's great about these events, this kind of event here that Cumberland Lodge putting on, is, the, again, what I was talking about in terms of differences and having a respectful yeah. you know, conversation know. about it. And I would, I would slightly... Um, take a different stance, I think, from Claire Mm, on this. mm. I I believe that we have huge social, economic and climate injustices and um, it's not getting any better and we've got 10 years to solve issues around climate change and we've got issues around life expectancy stalled and we've got more human misery than we've had, certainly in my generation. That means then we can't see resilient communities as a means of people to cope. No. It it cannot be... A, a, a means of coping while basically it's getting worse. Yeah. It has to be a active fight back against the injustices that are there. And I think, and I don't think players in this position at all. But I do think there is some, um, probably not here, maybe some in this event uh, over the next two days. But certainly out there, there is some people who see that we get the community to empowered. Yeah to deliver more things that used to be state services. So like yeah. the big society. Yep, big society mark two. And in a sense, it's passing the buck mm-hmm. uh, of austerity and a broken social contract to hard-pressed, time-and-resource-poor communities. And that is what I would say the reaction is. So I think yeah. there, is, there is a real slippery slope we need yeah. to watch. Yeah, Just I'm, consci- I'm
2: conscious of the slippery slope. I mean, I think... I think, um, I don't disagree with what you've just said at all, but um, I mean our background is our contacts have been with public services that are about people like adult social care and our our insight into that that came from the lived experience of people on the receiving end of those services were that they could be oppressive, there could be sites of um, abuse as well. In fact I never met anyone who um, it was more likely that abuse was going to take place in an institution or in a segregated care setting than it was in community. And yet community was viewed as risky and those spaces were, were viewed as safe. So I think those services undoubtedly need to be reworked and redesigned with people at their heart, whether they're provided by people or community businesses or the state. The form of the ownership doesn't matter to me so much as the depth to which they will enable purpose, agency and hope to flourish. Um, And I think that can be done by the state. I am hopeful that it can be done by the state because the state is always the largest provider still. It still is the largest provider of any kind of service. So it really, that's why we work on systems change because we know whatever we do, still most of the resource that is gonna help those who are most marginalized, if it does, resides with our local government. So we can't ignore how our local government services work with local people.
0: We've just talked about um, how we don't necessarily want to see resilience as a way for communities to withstand shocks, So we don't want resilience just, be more to be, that, yeah. just to be understood like that. But this is particularly to you, Neil. What, what do you view as the ways, the keys to rebuilding communities when there are these kinds of events? Even though we want to understand resilience in a wider sense,
1: well, c- context is everything, and there's different contexts across these uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, different contexts with different nations, devolved uh, uh, regions in England, devolved city regions in England, and different nations. There's different uh, there's different uh, uh, sense by which the social contract is retained in different communities. So there is a there's different variations to this, but. What I would say is that it's all in the sequencing here. Um, I think we've fallen very far, in my view. I'm a fairly, it's i to be depressing, but I think we've fallen very far and we're on a slippery slope to follow f- fall further. And if you take a service such as the adult social care, which, in essence, and particularly residential care, the, there is no market left for adult social care. It's dominated by big corporate players so there is no market there it's dominated in terms of the residential homes owned by big companies, I won't name them but you probably know who they are listeners will know who they are probably Um, now what do you do in that situation what does communities do in that situation the service is probably shoddy the workers are probably underpaid the companies are taking 12% return shareholders and they're somewhere else beyond these shores what does the community do with that shoddy service does it try wherever it can to provide a alternative local service yeah, which is a lot more uh, socially virtuous and provides a better service and better terms and conditions. Yeah? And that's perhaps an option. But of course, you're talking about massive assets of huge big care homes. Yeah? So the market is hard to get in there. Or do we actually say to the community, you know what, let's cast a torch on the wealth extraction, on the lack of decency and dignity through these homes, through this residential care. I think it's much more useful in that context in terms of building communities and creating better communities is to go on the attack, to attack the misery that's there and not to spend our energies trying to fit in to a market that's actually fundamentally broken. And I think each different sector and each community working in particular areas needs to be very, very careful about what they're actually doing because but it, unintentionally they could actually be Assisting the very misery that is actually taking place. Because you could have a rubbish adult co social care residential care service and you got a few communities flipping around the edge that's doing come good and we're making it look okay. Mm. We're actually fundamentally at the heart of it, 90% of it, is a rotten service. So we need to be very careful around all this.
2: And this I mean, it may be going a little bit off the point for, for you, but I, I'm thinking so one of, in a, a previous uh, incarnation of Grapevine, when we, were, we ran advocacy services and we were working with the people who were the survivors and victims of some of that really poor quality mm. care, um, we thought the answer was to individualise and get people out, get budgets, and, we, and to some extent with those with mm. the most complex needs we've still done that. but. It only, but our experience there was that it would only, it just became a different way of transferring the money around. Yeah. And actually, what people did was they ended up buying poor care from a different source. Well, because nobody paid attention to the relationships around someone. Nobody tried to widen the circle. Nobody thought about how does this person become who they've got the capacity to be. They just thought about, well, where do we buy care from now? Mm. Um, and nothing changed. Nothing really changed. And so we become way, very yeah. disillusioned with that whole. Um, mm personalisation agenda Absolutely. and decided to focus our energies around whoever you are the answer is going to be to build your relationships and your participation in something more collective and we that's what we did
0: okay so Claire it's been great to hear about the work of grapevine Coventry in Warwickshire this morning and the way your charity works with the strengths of individuals and communities to bring about positive change working with other agencies such as the NHS and local authorities so, why do you think collaborative action is so important for strengthening local communities?
2: Well, first of all, I think it's important to build community power and that means getting local people collaborating together um, because I think no one's coming to help, and we have to we have to provide hope and optimism and we have to take action ourselves. Um, I think that things don't shift fundamentally unless we then also <coughs> collaborate more widely with with the local system and by that i suppose i mean the local government system and perhaps our local political
0: system as well okay and a final question um to both of you what do you hope might come out of these discussions about the power of collaborative local citizenship and how it might influence your own work and practice
1: that's a hard one i mm? i think i think you know, just echoing what we've been talking about. Really, is that I I would hope that I think it'll be a hard push, but I really think that we need to have a restoration of the idea that the state is a bureaucratic manifestation of kindness, and that is what needs to be restored here. You know, I think would be a great outcome. Would be that we know that there's a social contract to be made here, with a strong and generous and decent state, coupled to enabled communities who wish to take up the opportunity of getting involved more if they, f- they want to do so but otherwise have the freedom and choice to say I'm not going to get involved I'm going to watch the football and go to the pub. It's
2: probably it's too soon to say how it might influence me but um, I enjoy I'm enjoying this conversation and I think we need more challenge and exposure to this kind of conversation because I think we're on the same ground but there's there's something where we're not quite meeting and it would be good (laughs) to figure out how we meet.
0: Thank you so much Neil and Claire for taking time out of the conference to take part in today's podcast. You can find out more about this resilient communities project at cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. Have a look at the read watch listen section for the conference briefing, blog posts, session recordings and more including the keynote conference address by Nick Pearson, head of Park One Global. Cumberland Lodge is exploring resilient communities as part of its 2019-20 series of conferences, panel debates, and retreats on the theme of inclusion and opportunity. A Cumberland Lodge report on resilient communities will be launched in September 2020 with cross-sector recommendations for practitioners and policymakers, so, watch out for that. Thank you once more to my guests and thank you for listening.